All right. Hey, y'all. It is grab your wallet time. Uh, we've been having fun doing this show. We love you guys for supporting us. Those of you that don't support us, patreon.com is where you go give us the money to get us to these people or beers to these people so we can interview them. And John's got some t-shirts. So that's on stealthisbeer.com slash merch. Check that out. Either way, thanks for playing along. Can't believe we get away with this every week, Monday at five. about beer over beer by a couple of guys that think about beer way too much. All right. Hey, y'all. It's five o'clock on Monday. We are stealing beer. I'm Augie Carton. Hi, Augie Carton. Hi, John Hall. How are you? I'm doing really, really well. That's awesome. I'm yeah. glad you're doing well. Happy. So Thieves at Home, It's as you know, it's never 5 o'clock on Monday. It's actually mid-afternoon on Friday because we were not into doing a middle-of-the-day Saturday thing on a nice weekend in July. So everybody's having a quick end-of-workday thing. And our... Yeah, these are summer hours. Our accomplice du jour on his way out from a hard week of work is Van Carney of Penn Druid Brewing in Sperryville, Virginia. How'd I do on that, Van? Did I say everything right? Yes, perfectly. Bon Nailed, <laughs> it. Nailed it. Write it down, guys. Only That's it. 507 episodes. Augie said <laughs> words as they were spelled. Finally got it right. Woohoo! So, Van, I'm yes. going to ask this because if you are familiar with Evan Watson and Plan B Brewing, the shorthand for our thieves becomes immediate. Do you know who Evan is and what Plan B is? Yes. Okay. And yes. Am I wrong that there's a lot of fucking parallels between Penn Druid and Plan B? You guys are rock stars who now make wild fermentation beers on a farm. Is that all true? And is there some meeting you rock stars had without telling us that, that we all missed? Yes, it was a <laughs> <laughs> the G20, you guys, where, where does the G20 happen, John Hall? Yeah, Davos. So, you know, Davos. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of parallels. And I have to tell you that, um, yeah, he, he's a kindred soul for sure. And he has an amplifier uh, that's in his barn that I've played uh, that is incredible. And I never let him forget that he has an amp that I would gladly take off his hands at any moment. That's a lot of fun. I was actually wow. up on the farm Saturday night with my wife, kids, and family watching him play through that tiny little tweed Fender. So that is a case. Fender That's champ. the one you're talking about? Yes. That's like a 1958 Fender champ. Those yeah. things are but but oh. he needs it for all of the wedding gigs he's playing these days. Oh, God, please, dude. You are you cannot alienate. So, all right. So, man, let me give you some let me give you some <laughs> some context here because that's horrible. One of the people that does good. the show with us is Brian Cass, and he is a bootlegger of the first order. He would bootleg your couch if you left him alone with it for five minutes. You'd come back and he would have turned it into, you know, six what cases couch, What of couch, rum. man? There wasn't a couch yeah, here. What couch? I didn't see a couch. <laughs> anyway, anyway, he somehow got Evan to play his wedding without telling any of us. And I think that's crazy. But now it's John Hall's favorite joke of the week. So if all else fails on your leaving rock and roll behind, 
to um to to go make spontaneous beers in the wilds of Virginia. You can also just pick up some wedding gigs for local craft brewing assistance if need be. So there's promise there for you, Ben. Good. I'm glad there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been up to the farm. So you are close to them. And so, so then help me explain the shorthand for everybody else. You and two brothers are a band all three together and all decided to go start a farm brewery as your second coming is that right <laughs> yes yep yes that's exactly right uh we are in a band uh we, we we haven't canceled it due to lack of interest yet uh though you know forthcoming lack of interest on your part of the fans parts it doesn't matter either one is either. much better than the other story-wise so learn <laughs> to say in that context we got fed up with the life yeah, no, no. <laughs> well, we do have uh, we do have plans to go to Europe next summer and, and tour. Uh, you know, as COVID kind of canceled, we had all these plans and we canceled them. So we still do that. Uh, and yeah, we do. We, uh, me and my two brothers, uh, we own and operate this this brewery uh, here in Virginia, where we grew up, and it's rural. Uh, and I feel incredibly lucky that uh, you know it's taken me this long in my life to get where we are, but that I you know, live the life that I do, which is incredible. It truly is. Yeah, it's 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 a lot to be envied. Like I said, Saturday night, I was up on our local version of your Virginia experience, and I was just, what a nice night watching a guy play his music to his friends and family while we drank his beer. That's uh, to be envied, so good on you. <laughs> um, talk to me about, so you guys, in, in Justin, Justin gave me much more thorough notes on you than he usually does, which was helpful justin so write that down as helpful in your in your chest right, writing that down there. Yes. report card but talk to me about things like that like if you're going to go to europe even if you do a whirlwind you know rolling stones 1963 europe tour you're going to be there more than three weeks how do you plan knowing how spontaneous and wild and you know authentic beers work do you have people that babysit your stuff? Because the way it read, it was basically just the three of you doing as, you know, as if you were writing songs, but making beers like passionately, just the three. Here's what we want to fucking do. Here's how I think we make it better. Let's blend it this way. Here's a beer. Moving on to the next one. And do I have that right? And how do you plan for, hey, guys, nobody's going to be here babysitting the juice for X weeks this period. How does that go together? We just use game cameras. Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> what is it the what's the nest is it the nest system where you can remote dial the ambient temperature yeah. in the room from europe you'll be like all right god i'm gonna take i'm gonna take the whole room down to 52 boys yeah every single <laughs> barrel has a glycol chiller that we can control from czech republic wow uh, that's no. that is it's not cheap it. somebody get me someone on the phone i need a new toy <laughs> uh no, i mean it's we can't we don't you, your premise was that we we wouldn't be able to leave for three weeks we only leave for three weeks at most now we okay. never leave. Right. i got you uh but to be honest with the kind of beer that we make uh, it doesn't need babysitting in fact uh if you if you're babysitting it you're doing too much you just need to leave it alone don't look at it don't talk to it just let it do its thing <laughs> for like a year and then don't talk to it don't touch it don't try to move anything don't play any music this is what we do and then you look at the beer stop looking at the beer <laughs> stop looking at it don't it <laughs> Uh, See, I'm the other way. I, I get real mad if I haven't tasted a barrel in six weeks. 
Yeah, it's a great way of oxidizing your barrels. I well, we use the little nail. It's still. I know, but tiny little sips for me don't don't move it enough. You know that. Uh, I'm not taking a whole glass. If you've got a good pellicle on there, it doesn't even really matter. It's like just the jarring of pounding that nail back in. It's like, oh, no, I use vice grips. You don't pound the nail. You just push real hard. Well, I do know what you mean. But even that, like, I don't like nails. We we sometimes have some. We don't do that um, specifically because our method is a little different. Like we just let it sit. It, uh, and what ended up oxidizing, we dump very quickly. Once we start uh-huh. tasting the barrels, usually we let sit, we don't even look at something in under eight months. We just let it sit. And with a spontaneous, we typically let it sit, uh, for about 14 months, uh, unless we're doing some kind of project, uh, because it, nothing good can necessarily come out of messing and just, you know, fiddling. Yeah. So we don't do that. Uh, the okay. reality is when we discover them, then we say, yep, nope, 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 yep. And then we dump everything that's not good and we go from there. We have pretty, for ourselves, we have three of us. Uh, we all are very sensitive to different things, um, whether it be THP or, you know, whatever, diacetylphenols, yep. whatever you want to throw out. Uh, so we, we, we were very picky. If one guy, we got the triangle, if one guy is like, you know, the, the levels of isovaleric are just a little high on the fucking dump it. Yeah. We, don't, we don't, you don't try and you never try and fruit something that you, you, you fruit your best stuff. Right. You're going to get this glorious beer with the other stuff blended and it can sometimes make it better. But if there's anything that doesn't pass that 100% mark, we dump it. I like that. It's interesting though. Cause I would guess that some of these sensitivities are genetic and having, you know, like I said, I, I often talk on the show how I, I do not have a very high um, diacetyl threshold. I've actually had to learn to feel it more than smell it. Hmm. Um, Literally. Yeah. Just it's, it's, I, I now can pretty accurately. Are you a coffee drinker? Very much. Okay. Do you get it in coffee ever? Sometimes. You know, it's a natural byproduct of roasting coffee. Would make sense, but yeah, sometimes on I, 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 I very much that makes sense. But, but yes, although I'm not often looking for it, but I can even smell it sometimes. But what I'm saying is, I've I know the people like my first brewing partner Jesse was super super diacetyl sensitive, so that was always easy. Mm-hmm. And I've had to learn the person I go to where I suspect based on the sensation I've learned and be like, do you get any diacetyl on this? And if they say yes, then I'm right. If they say no, then I need to run it through a different battery. But my guess would be that if I, if I wanted my sisters to learn this skill, they'd also have that deficiency. So it's interesting to me that with three of you, three of you have a different set of sensitivities. I like that. It's promising, but it's an interesting thing I heard in your story that I, that made me guess I've been wrong about something for a while. Yeah, Which well, is, we call each other blind. So it'd be like, it'd be like your sulfur blind or, you know, your THP blind or whatever it is. And like, we know who has the lowest level. So like, if two guys are getting something, we'll go to the other guy that we know, like, I know you're a little less than us. And be like, <laughs> can, can you, can you, and we'll do, we do everything. We do a lot of stuff blind. Totally. So it'll be like, can you, can you, can you, can you get this? And it really does help because two, two people eh, throw a third person in there. Your, your yeah. rods are getting better. And especially uh, that would have been 
the perfect setup had we been doing beers today. That would have been great. That really would have been great. Had Sorry, Justin guys. Gotten us Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. Oh, Justin. Oh, no. 2021 Justin. <laughs> Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Um, there was something else, man, I wanted to come back to there. Oh, so again, and this is just because this isn't Justin's fault. He's a writer, not a brewer. But he seems to have... I'm sure the answer is both, but he talks about a local yeast culture you've, it sounds like propped up, built, leaned into and established as your house culture. And then he also talks about cool shipping. So are there two different programs going on or is one evolved out of the other? How does, yeah, what's the the boundaries there? Yeah, totally. So uh, yeah, we basically have two programs. Uh, The first one is what we call our clean beer program, which is that we have a native yeast that, Exactly like you just said, we, we, we didn't isolate it. We just propped it up essentially from flowers outside, got it to where there was no real bacteria left in there. Uh, and then we used that. Now we've been using that for about five years as our clean house yeast, which makes a beer that when you don't put a whole lot of hops and it's basically a Pilsner base, uh, you get a, a cross between, literally it tastes like a cross between a, a Franconian Keller and uh, a Cezanne, a non-spice Cezanne. So if you took those two and put them together, pretty much what it tastes like. Uh, so that's our house culture. Uh, we do not typically cool ship those clean beers, though sometimes in the wintertime we will and still produce the clean beer. Uh, so we'll, you know, rack into the cool ship, then we'll knock it out in the wood or stainless wherever we're fermenting it. And then we'll add this, you know, quote unquote, clean culture. Um, you know, if I say we've done a hundred batches with the clean culture, uh, 20 of them have turned out sour. And so it's something that you kind of always can play with and kind of, you know, uh, is it gonna, and sometimes it doesn't, but typically it, it does stay clean. Um, then we have our spontaneous program, which is, uh, we make it in a traditional method or manner. Uh, we don't put any sort of, there's a mark in America that people use. We do not use that. Uh, we do not call it goose. We do not call it lambic, but it is in the, style of that in terms of how it's made and so we, turbid mash through the cool ship in the wood wait 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 right? exactly yep okay. yep pretty much yeah so yep you turbid mash longish boil age tops into a cool ship just like you said into barrels then you wait forever and then some of that will get blended with other barrels and then some of it will get fruited uh, and we find that that process allows uh, the constituent yeast that typically creates a lot of those, what people would think of goose or lambic flavors, Britannomyces, chance to really show their, show their, their full colors. Gotcha. So generationally, as you were sorting, I imagine these two, well, all right, let's talk this through. So if you propped up from flowers and did that once and you're now living prop to prop on that yeast... Is there a seasonality you sense in what is now the house culture that hits seasonally with, you know what I mean? Like if you, if you cool ship in spring or fall, do you, cause I find, cause we do that. I use a, I do a lot of stuff with actually a beehive cutting that, that Evan taught me for a lot of our wilder stuff. And there's a decided difference between the spring cutting and the fall cutting. I'm wondering if, if when you were propping up that original house yeast, was there any seasonality to it that you can then associate with a 
cool ship at that time of year? Uh, that's really interesting. Uh, no, <laughs> I, okay. think, I think at this point, I think, uh, you sometimes can. I get too romantic for the bugs, but well, let, let me say this is that, uh, I see what you're saying. Um, our yeast has basically gotten stable enough that let's remove that as a variable that would be seasonal. And exactly like you were just mentioning, if we do clean, uh, if we do cool ship, those clean beers in the fall or in the spring, we do it outside and the cool ship can be filled with pollen. It's high off the ground. And sometimes we wash it out. And if we've just kind of washed it out or done something and like, we've done this a number of times, there'll be loads of like, uh, this is this spring where there's loads of cherry pollen in there. Cause there's all these huge cherry trees. And um, we just racked the work directly on top of that. We do <laughs> notice a difference awesome. then. And that, yeah, I'm sure. I'm and sure. And because it's outside, you clearly are getting, you know, all of this fauna and all of this crazy stuff because that's where yeast in the wild really loves to live because of all the pollinators is on pollen. So exactly. it's really interesting to do that for the spring and the in the in the fall because in the fall, if you do it at a certain time, you know, there's going to be there's not, there's not a whole lot ambient left floating around like that. So there is a difference there. Now, if we were to add, and we've done this, which is that you cool ship into that, you get this crazy, you know, thing happening. And then we pitch our clean yeast, yeast in there. Yeah. Uh, our clean yeast is just so robust. It kind of can take over initially. Uh, and, but, and then if you, if you want to let it sit a little longer, you can see the residual uh, uh, effects of, of having done that in the spring with, in the cool ship. And yes, you can tell a difference. I should also just add, that yeah. six years, I think, or whatever it is of us doing these cool ship beers, we have decidedly stopped making spontaneous in the um, winter time yeah. until about March or February. And then we start making it all the way up until about May. Uh, and we've done that now for a couple of years and it has really, really, really worked for us because what was happening with the earlier barrels is every single one of them would oxidize to a point yeah. that we weren't comfortable with. Now, do you have a theory on why that? Because nothing's occurring to me except for the barrels were dry from winter. Like, you know what I mean? If you're waiting through all of X season that they dried out, what's uh, do you have a theory on why that was going on? I do. I, I think that it's a combination of, um, uh, inoculation, uh, and, um, oxidation through temperature change in our old building. We're now at a cur currently at a new building. Yeah. We uh, know with the nest and the Czechoslovakian temperature control. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> uh, we talked about that already. I got that in early. Uh, <laughs> anyway, go on. But, uh, we have found that those spontaneous beers uh that we brew later in the season and, and they take off and uh they establish a pellicle in a way that the other ones didn't really ever seem to do when we were doing it in the uh fall now i'd like to get something out of the way which is that i talk about spontaneous i say that we make spontaneous beer and in no way, shape, or form do I think or want other people to think that spontaneous beer has 
if you, you, you take it, just this concept of, oh, I'm making this thing and how do you do it? Well, it spontaneously starts to ferment. <laughs> that never happens. It only ferments <laughs> there is yeast present. Now, where does most of the yeast come from? It comes from a barrel. It does right. not come from inoculation outside unless you are like we are, which is it's truly outside and you go out in the morning and it is covered in leaves. Then yep. you've clearly inoculated it with something. Uh, yep. But typically what's in the barrels, uh, so you get them from a winery or wherever you're getting them, uh, tests have shown this, uh, they are being fermented by resident constituents of that barrel. Yep. Um, so it's now, why Coach 3 is Coach 3, Burgundy friends. Anyway, go on. Yeah, that's yeah, true. So, uh, you know, the seasonality, just sort of making a long way of coming back to your, you're asking me about yeah. spring and fall, is, is that we really do see a change in, in spring when there's a lot of pollen in the air in our new site where we are. Like you can literally come up and see it. There'll be a skim. Don't tell VDAX, this de Department of Agriculture, but yeah, there'll be like a skim of pollen. A skim you immediately remove. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but that's what you, I mean, it makes it better. I mean, I, yeah. everything that we've ever done that way is just incredible. It's like, so let's, like let's put a, a pin in it. Let's put a pin in it right here because I want to get back to something that I was afraid we'd gotten too far away from, but we're right here. So let me ask the question. So you were talking about, Cherry trees, which is something I covet and envy. And even when I imagine myself somehow getting to a point where I can farm for brewing, I want to do somewhere. Cherry trees are never a thing I'm going to get to because by the time I could get them working and get them old enough to produce fruit, I will have passed on. Um, it's just the way time works and cherry trees work. But if you have cherry trees, wild or cultivated either way on the farm, enough to throw this dusting of pollen into a cool ship are you then using those cherries late season and has this beer have you ever marked hey cherry pollen was ridiculous during this run through the cool ship let's cherry that beer on the other side those are my two questions that formed you know formed when we started this and I'm, we just hit that point again so i'm asking it now Oh, no. Good question. Uh, so the wild cherries that we, they're wild cherries. So they're really yeah. tall with these little bitter nuggets. They're not. Always oh, like I love them. them. I Some love of them. We the have a wild one. cherry tree in my forest. And I don't, you know, because of competition with the animals, I only ever catch five fistfuls. They're horrible, but they would be so great in a beer. Right. It's like good apples make better. You know, good apples make shitty cider. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> these cherries are like, fuck. I understand the sentiment, but I'm not sure if that's necessarily the case. But I do think that the cherry tree here, uh, I know what you mean. There's like, and it's very interesting around here. It's like, there's all these wild black cherry trees and some of them are just mind blowing remarkable. And some of them are inedible. Like you're saying, I would love, 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 love nothing more than to be able to harvest enough of them to do something with, especially because the pits genuinely do taste like, marzipan although they are incredibly bitter uh it would be wonderful to to go ahead and use those but we have not uh figured out how to harvest you know like 500 pounds of or even 100 pounds of wild cherries to be honest uh yeah. we have we do fruit i mean it's pretty true it's as you guys know it's very traditional to do spontaneous on uh cherries and raspberries and i think that there's a reason that's deeper than just you know oh hey uh we'll pick this fruit and this fruit it's like 
well, there are a lot of seasonal fruits that you can put in these beers, but there's something about cherries and raspberries that really can make like a blended spontaneous beer totally incredible. And I'm not sure why that's the case necessarily sensory wise, but um, so we do do a lot of the cherry stuff. So a lot of the stuff that has gotten in cherry pot, we have not intentionally. And I had never thought of that, but uh, it's a good thing for sure. Yeah. So I I have a theory on cherries above all, and I think it's the pit you're talking about, but I think there's just the lightest bit of of tannin to the stone of a cherry, um, which I think just, you know, well done and given enough time. And I mean, like long time, like, like three years on cherries and barrel. I think it shows through nicely in a homogenous, clean, contradictory way to what we're used to in those fruited sours. So I always thought cherries made sense for what the stones do once the fruit has all desiccated. But again, just a thought. Um, I'm so excited about your beers, man. I really wish Justin even tried to produce the show and got us some. Um, Are you there, Justin? Yeah, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) When's your next trip down to Virginia? You haven't said been in a long time. I mean, just listening to you guys talk, it's probably going to be next weekend. I don't know. (laughs) Bring us us back a couple of these fucking beers, dude. I am fucking fired up. So let's talk about, so similar in a process to what you're talking about for some of your beers, I'm going the other way where I've always tried to make a decent table saison. And when you do all Saison, I feel it lacks the time potential that I want a table Saison to have. Like it won't mature in bottle. Um, so where I've landed is I actually when I so we do a barn, we do one of Evan's barn beers every year with Evan. Uh-huh. And we we use the, you know, the the beehive grown culture, and it's our barn beer with uh plan B. And I leave it in the fooder for like I don't know, six, eight months. Cause it just, that's how long it takes to get perfect. But the minute we dump that, I go straight in with a Cezanne work, wait a day or two, then pitch Cezanne yeast in, and then take some of that cultured yeast for the bottle conditioning on it. And that's where I found I've got the, the potential. And I mean, that's what I'm calling the local Cezanne. When you are doing one of these, throw it in the cool ship, see what happens and then pitch the house culture in what, how are you identifying that beer from your other mixes? Cause it essentially sounds like you're making a Saison to me. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I'm just wondering, yeah. is that what you call your Saison? And if not, what are you calling it? Cause you know, what should we be looking for? <laughs> uh, well, our beers are currently unavailable, so don't look. Fucking Justin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but that's but that's how you create desire though that's, yeah, that's the thing right. like you know like we've we, we've been talking to you for 30 minutes now and now you're telling us we can't drink your yeah. beer makes me but, just want it even more well that's you but the problem is i learned early never desire anything justin's created desire for Aww. so moving on anyway no but go <laughs> um we don't call anything a saison because uh we're not belgian uh, I just, it's a thing for me that I don't want to use their terms, uh, because I have an incredible amount of respect for them. And I do things that, uh, I feel are, uh, in a tradition can make a product be like, 
better or worse. You know, you have methods and stuff, but we don't yeah. use terms. Um, and which which leaves this. I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you here. Okay. Because I agree with you in all terms except Cezanne, because it's a French word, not a Belgian word, and it's for season and evokes the farm. So I feel like we're stealing a French word, not a Belgian tradition, if I may. Uh, I, would, I think you could apply that to so uh, it just because it's not in Flemish doesn't really mean that the other half of Belgium doesn't speak French and or it doesn't. But France makes Cezanne. I know, but so do the Belgians. And the other thing is, is that lager is a German word. <laughs> yep. That means to keep. Right. To wait. But to I hold. would never use the term lager for that reason. <laughs> oh, really? No, but we don't make lager. So like, that's what I'm saying is that like, what we do is very specific. We do not make IPAs. We do not make saisons. <laughs> we do not. Right. We make, we're... We're very traditional and what we try to do, we've set out to have native yeast with our water. Now, if you're a brewer, you know that between the yeast and the water, you are like a hundred miles down the Audubon. You've already know where you're going. So -hmm. it's like part of what we're trying to do is make beer that's from here. And I, as a brewing nerd, think that the almost the only way you can really focus on doing that is through your water and through your yeast. You get these other things going, that's great, but there's a lot that human beings can do to manipulate those factors and malt and hops. What you cannot do is manipulate real well water and yeast the same way. You can take RO, you can start adding salts. It will never act chemically the same way as well water with constituent parts of whatever minerals you want to talk about into, uh, you know, converting your sugars and your mash. And that makes a really big difference when you're talking about beer. So when we talk about Cezanne, we like literally all the blonde beer we make is all because that's we yeah. make it in that style. We use wood to brew it uh, to, to fire the kettle. Yeah, I wanted to get to that. Put a pin in that. Mashing, we'll come back to that, but keep going. <laughs> our mashing techniques, like everything that we do is a really traditional style of brewing that would have been used, you know, similarly uh, in, in Belgium uh, and just right across the, the channel there in England, too. Is there, there's a lot of similarities, similarities happening there. But, but, but at the end of the day, what we have is this blonde beer. Now, there's a long way of getting to the reason we don't call it that is because we have a lot of respect for those traditions and we would never do that because we're trying to create this thing that's from here and literally exists from here. As in you would look at medieval, you know, uh, you know, tax uh, collectors books from, you know, whatever, 14, you know, or whatever. And oh, you're doing like the Ron Pattinson stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. We used to look historically at what people were making and then you realize, wow. In the 1300s, in the 1400s, in the 1500s, I mean, Goethe wrote about this one beer he had, which was like bitter oranges and gentian. And he was like, it was fucking terrible. And he was like, but at the end of this week in this town, I couldn't drink enough of it. And it's this really famous, you know, specific kind of probably medieval holdover of a group. And the hazy IPA was born. <laughs> yeah, totally. But it's from there. And so you can go and look and you can see. And so we've tried to divest ourselves of any sort of trapping that would say, oh, we'll look back this way. Oh, we'll look back this way. While knowing that our techniques do that, most of the people that drink our beer have no idea 
what we're doing necessarily right. any specific and it doesn't really matter and the point is is that if you take your water and you take your yeast and you start doing stuff with them they will do specific things under specific conditions that they're not going to do anywhere else and that's how people have always made local beer and that's literally the, the genesis of style they didn't know they just knew in dublin hey it's like dark beer Tastes pretty good. This other shit is <laughs> awful. And they probably couldn't even at that time, you know, they couldn't get pale malt anyway. But the point is, is that <laughs> you just, it's, 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 it's something we do not have to lose through. Yeah. Uh, I agree. You know, we don't have to lose that. But the only way we can do it is if you have people like us that are stubborn enough and stupid enough to just be like, fuck it. We're not going to do any of this other bullshit. We're not going to call my PAs, even if they sell better. We're not going to make a lager. We're not going to make a Saison. We're not going to do any of that stuff. What we're going to do is take this see how it does here and if it's not passable uh we'll just dump it that's right. what we'll do i get that so i have a, so as a so evan and i just made a beer up on his farm that we were drinking saturday night um and part of it was we did a hot stone decoction on it the reason i bring this up isn't because we did it but because I was explaining all the things we did this beer. It's an insane beer. You would love it. We did it in an open wooden mash tun, and we made the mash bed out of spruce tips and branches off a tree on his farm, and then we mashed on top of that and stirred it and decocted it with hot rocks in a basket that we cooked over a wood fire. Then we put it into the um, the uh, cool ship and stirred it with um, yarrow root, and then we put it into a fooder that Evan had maple sap. He'd made pitch out of maple sap and pitched the barrel with the maple sap. We smashed the rocks that we had heated it with into smaller pieces, fit them through the bunk, poured the beer in, waited three months and just bottled it. The reason I bring this up is when I was explaining that same exact process to a friend, I said we decoded it thrice with the hot rocks and my wife heard the word decoction after having six of these beers I'm describing to you and thought that was the funniest fucking word she'd ever fucking heard. So my question is, as we set these rules up for what words we will use and won't use. Long setup. Like, yeah, but if I want to hold something cold for an extra week in the brew, like if I'm drinking something we brewed and I, I say lager it for another 14 days, you know what I mean? Like that is the verb. So I don't, yeah, I would say that it's the approach. Okay. So, you know what I mean? Like I'm just, I use lager. I, I'm not disagree with you. Cause I, I make a whole bunch of, um, you know, small kettle sours that I call Highlander vices because I'm not in Berlin. Like I very care. And I call that says, describing a table beer because I really am careful of using words that aren't ours, but you still got to use a lot of these fucking German and Flemish words because they were doing it 400 years ago. And that's how we learned process. Right. Oh, I use process words. I just don't use okay. terms. So and, okay. I, and I would never uh, condemn anybody for doing. I think it's really useful. No, no, no. I just you know what I mean? I'm like, I wanted to hear the word you used when your brother I would use lager something and you got yeah. a little and you're like, yeah. you know what? Hold it for another two weeks i wanted to hear the secret code word that was lagering without using the word lager but it, never mind it in process it, it is what's used that's fine but anyway i was like when i said decoction and she's like what did you just say i was like how have you been married to a brewer for 10 years and not know what that word means and it became a big thing around the house we've been decocting things all week anyway <laughs> um, so 
now I want to come down there and help you pick enough cherries in a day to couldn't you like you wouldn't need more than five painters buckets of cherries to do one barrique of cherry sour no I think you hit the nail directly on the head are we talking that because that that's that like in my my world uh that one bu- one bucket is a is a technical term yeah that's what I mean like if we <laughs> went you're right no, you're if right. We, we need about. You're world, totally right. We need five, five buckets painters' of buckets of yeah, cherries. Buckets of cherries. If, yeah. if 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 five of us, you know, woke up, had a proper breakfast, put on our our foraging gloves and boots, and said, "Nobody comes back to the farm till your bucket's full of cherries," <laughs> couldn't we just funnel them into one barrique and go right on top? Yeah, totally. I think that you'd never come back. Though is the thing. Uh, well. I think I can get Evan to do this drive with me. I think I think we're coming down to you, man. It's, I think uh, it's a beautiful this. drive down 81. You we're know, making a cherry uh, beer whether you like it or not. God damn it. Wild cherries, too. And I'm going to pick the sourest, ugliest, nastiest ones because I think they're going to make better beer, but I can't prove it that yet. They would, right? Shitty apples make great cider. I think the uh, world's tartest cherries make good beer. You know, I agree. I'd love, yeah, we use sour cherries for sure. Like, I, I agree with you. I think if, I mean, do, dude, if I'm, I'm a, <laughs> fucking, if you can pick five, you've stymied him at this point. This I, is fun. I would yeah. be very impressed between the bear, between all the animals that are hammer spanking those fucking cherries. If you, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Again, Even in my own backyard, I only catch. Hang on a second. This is this is uh, me from the suburbs of New Jersey. Uh, uh, curious about terminology and words we use and don't <laughs> hammer spanking. It's a uh, German c- word yeah, for right. how bears eat fruit. It's a technical brewing term that I'm just I'm unfamiliar with. They teach it at Siebel. But you gotta yes. go. You won't but know. You have it to go to the, you have to go to the German week. You can't yeah. just Lynn, do the Chicago Lynn Kruger crew. teaches a master loving uh, master level class on yeah Hammerspangen. <laughs> Great. Uh, ha, it's pronounced Hammerspangen. Yeah, it's Hammerspangen. Anyway. <laughs> and now wait, uh, Justin. What's my new favorite fruit from Virginia? New favorite fruit from Virginia? Oh, the pawpaw. Yeah, pawpaw. Do you do anything uh, yeah. with pawpaws? Uh, we planted a lot of pawpaw trees. We've tried in the past, but there can be like some butyric uh, compounds in pawpaws. And uh, if we did try it once and it didn't really turn out too good. I mean, pawpaws are, make beautiful ice cream if you've ever had pawpaw ice cream. But we did plant a bunch. Of, we've I've never seen pawpaw. or heard of a pawpaw before this show and Justin they're, being from Virginia. But now they're my new obsession. I need They're to- incredible. They're the best. We planted like probably about 100 of them, maybe uh here uh so we'll see again the funny thing about pawpaws is that they're really hard to pollinate and so people throw dead animals under them uh to get them to pollinate uh really just to get the flies to come around yeah 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 they're 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 pretty tricky um but they're an amazing native plant with this i guess i can think it's the papaya family they get these crazy huge leaves and justin you've probably seen it if you've gone up into the park and like near an old rag or whatever you'll go into these hollows and you'll you'll seriously think you're in costa rica because all the pawpaw trees it's like whoa it's really that's great. awesome i want pawpaw is my new and now that i've made a yarrow beer i can move on to papa um that was my last obsession so i can't believe we, we've been having so much fun here time got away from us but i do want to touch on talk to me about a wood fired kettle yeah can't let that go 
Yeah. So we just, it was really by virtue of like at our old space, we had these two, two barrel, you know, propane fired little things. And we wanted to figure out how to just like Sam Caligione. Anyway, go on. (laughs) Totally. Uh, So we wanted to figure out how we could. Sam invented fire and beer, didn't he? He I believe so. And actually he's got a new beer that says. Anyway, go on. That's us. That's us digressing. You, you go on. I'm sorry. Cool. Uh, What was I saying? Oh, it was by virtue of wanting to get something uh, that we could make more beer in. And so without having to ask any regulatory bodies, we were like, huh, you know, if we just got a huge fucking pot stuck it outside, uh, we wouldn't have to ask anybody. So we did. And uh, I know that wood fire has been how people have brewed beer for, I think you could say statistically 100% of the time at this point. (laughs) Well, yeah, because of how negligible. (laughs) But anyway, the point is, is that, you know, it's really obviously traditional. The cool thing is, is that we had this guy who makes apple butter kettles from Southern Virginia formulate and build this big kettle for us by hand. It's about 15 barrels and we had to make us a mash ton too, which is also wood fired, but we rarely need to put any because we just do a single infusion sort of British style. But the point is is that um, kettles, uh, when you wood fire them, uh, when they're stainless steel, uh, you can just burn the shit out of work uh, because stainless steel is not a very good conductor and it just holds a lot of heat. So, you know, where it splashes on the side of it, where there is none, like a pot on the stove and it goes, and you're all of a sudden just like, you know, caramelizing the bejesus out of your word. Copper is so incredibly conductive. I mean, you can put your hand right above where the wort is and it's not, the copper is not even that hot. And you put right. it down where the word is and it's 212 degrees and you put it up there and it's not very hot. And the beauty is, is that uh, you can really get this beautiful caramelization uh, that's pretty kind of standard with it. Like if you, if you, if you've done it a lot, depending on how long you, and this is going to sound obvious, but depending on how long you boil it. Um, and the more that you kind of throw some flame under there, uh, you know, it's never, the liquid is never going to get hotter than really 212 degrees or whatever, but you get this thing happening that does not happen with stainless steel uh that's really remarkable it's like this i don't know i don't know how to describe it and i'm sure there's a chemical term for it but it's like this soft caramelization uh you're definitely getting copper into the wort which is which is fantastic for the yeast and a lot of people with you know stainless rigs will just throw in you know copper pipes and stuff because the, the the yeast needs some copper but but at the end of this you you when you're done boiling you can rack your word out and you know, you've, you've cleaned the copper i mean it's right it, you don't have to throw chemicals at it. Like the, 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 the acidic word anyway, just kind of, kind of just cleans whatever that top layer of copper. It's not, there's no patina or anything, but then, then, then there's nothing really to clean except for with a hot hose. You don't have to throw any chemicals at it. You don't have to do anything. So it's this beautiful thing that we can do outside using wood. It's carbon neutral because of that in the sense that we're not digging into the ground or using fossil fuels for it. Uh, it, It burns very cleanly the way that we've, done it um i did go to belgium to look at the one at caracol before we built this one and you oh know, yeah it's pretty standard it's yeah exactly it's just like a big firebox under a copper pot. it's a really cool now, place do you, to visit do you, do you keep like like do you keep a leaf blower handy like man, how are you man. how are you controlling your fire depends you know I, mean? like, I do have a fan if you're if you're in a rush yeah you know what i mean like if you're like if you want to jump you know because every now and then you want to take it from whatever 140 to 160 to 212 
do do you have like that's Hammerstein? That a fan, but that's Hammerstein. There you go. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean. So so, do you have a favorite wood so far? No, for burning Cardboard, man. Cardboard works amazingly. It, uh, here's the beauty. Like it. It, now I feel like we're in the hills of Virginia. <laughs> yeah. Are you, are you using like Miller Lite 30 pack boxes yeah. to, to make proper beer out of? I, I like that's upcycling. I like we, that. We use lawnmower tires. <laughs> uh, no, it, it's interesting with wood because uh, it's the initial combustion of wood that uh, produces that intense heat. So, like coals, think about brisket, low and slow flame that when it combusts immediately is so hot uh that's what we want when we're brewing uh any we use all it's just hardwood from around here that we use uh, the smaller the better honestly uh and the interesting thing about wood is is that the core temperature of wood cannot get above 200 and whatever it is not quite 12 but just a little bit below that before it's gotten all the moisture out like most right. so unless your wood is like super 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 dry like years under you know under roof um you know it takes a while for wood to get rid of moisture to then really kind of combust uh so the smaller this is just technical bullshit people probably aren't yeah no no this is hey this 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 conversation is is solely laying the groundwork for five years from now when augie carton unveils his new copper brew house (laughs) no and i I hope he invites you for the the ribbon cutting direct uh, fire the direct fire tool i may want the copper i i cook differently but you know that's why you dry age steak john hall that's uh yeah yeah that's what i get at the sizzle let's get back to van keep going (laughs) uh that that, yeah that's 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 pretty much it yeah all right i like that um yeah i just oh god so it's interesting i i would have thought if you got enough coals under and you put air in there, you could take it, you know, like right up to a boil in seconds. But I, I, I see what you're saying. Um, it takes a minute. I is- mean, it, it, it depends. You know, our, there are physics behind it. And I used what I could for there's definitely sizes that boil kettles and mash tons do where the physics work better. Uh, okay. When you're dealing with direct fire uh, <laughs> at wood, where there's a lot of different variables, including outside wind, moisture level, uh, ambient temperature, like you just kind of got to throw it out the window, put a fucking fan on it and just be like, oh. yeah, yep. I get it. Um, uh, so how many barrels a year do you, would you say you're producing packaged or, uh, packaged, uh, eh, 400. Okay. And how many cords of wood do you think you're burning? Uh, <laughs> uh probably two. Okay. I, th- I think that's a great ratio. And let, let's that's just, fantastic. Let, let me just put this out there real quick. A quart of wood around here. I'm just going to round up a bit, but let's say it's $200. You have $400 in energy costs for brewing yep. for the year. That's awesome. That's, that's that, actually and, really cool. And it seems, it seems feasible to me like that, that, that sounded right. Had you said 200 cords of wood, I'd be like, I don't think this is good for the world, but sounds like you're properly maintaining your fire. God, this all excites the fuck out of me. We're going to have to have you back on because we do promise the thieves this will be 40 minutes and we're at 50. Um, so no letter today, Justin Kennedy. Don't even try it. Um, Sorry, nope. But I, I got to tell you, man, it's, it's super exciting to talk to you. I am going to try to convince either you to come up 
to Evan's farm and drink with drink with us there and play us some music or get Evan to go down there to hang out with you because he and I are do a boys trip. Do you have trout near you? If you have trout, I can get him to do almost anything. And we have lots of trout. Right on. So that, that won't that won't be hard to make happen. As long as you can trout fish while you and I look for cherries, we'll be fine. Um, dude, this is this is so fucking awesome. Keep doing exactly what you said. Uh, it's it's as if somebody had asked Alexa for an AI of what a brewer should say to Augie Carton. And you said it all. Literally, it's not a part of it. I'm not excited about. So thank you, man. Uh, it's all fucking great from, from the from the traditionalism to the integrity of style to the fucking I mean, I, I almost had to talk about the Maillard effect. This is everything I love in cooking beer. <laughs> um, I no. couldn't be more excited. Thanks for spending this time with us. And I, I hope I get to meet you in person and drink some beer soon. Absolutely. Um, Thank you, guys. Yeah, and may, maybe we'll do a proper episode with you where Justin actually gets us all beers and we can all talk about what's going on in the glass. But for now, I feel like we got through plenty without without that fuel for that fire. Um, why don't you don't even have any beer for these people to buy? But if they want to check you out, if they want to get to you, if they want to help you and me pick cherries in in late July, how, how do they how do they get in touch with you and make that, that stuff happen? Uh, so you can find us at just pendro.com or we're on Instagram. Uh, we don't have a telephone. I don't think, uh, uh, yeah. So yeah, you can (laughs) Instagram or, or, uh, I, you know, I think we had a Twitter thing at one point, but you know, it's just like, I just, uh, so I think, I think that's the best. Right on. Well, thank you so much, Van. Hey, Kennedy. This is great. If, if they want to pay for my trip to go down (laughs) to Pendro and, and uh, help pick cherries. How do they Patreon us? They can go to patreon.com slash beer. You can select any number of different levels from $2 all the way up to 150 plus or 125 plus. Um, wow. Yeah, and uh, different perks along the way. If you want to just write us a message, podcast at gmail.com. Uh, oh, and if they want to review us on iTunes, five stars. Good to say that, yeah. Go to... Uh, Go to your Apple iTunes and you can write a review and give us five stars or whatever you think is. <laughs> no, five stars is what they have to give us. That's the answer. All right, y'all. I really appreciate your time. Kennedy, good job dipping into Virginia for a quick couple Friday episodes. Yeah. Uh, Hall, next time I'll let you talk. I promise. No, this was, um, uh, th- this is, this is, you at your best where you're asking <laughs> you're engaged and then you're letting the guest answer More well, have, good, of answer, this, have good answers it'll happen that's not me dude that's bad i'm not all right so that's that. you just disparaging every other answers. guest that we've had in the last six years so anyway thanks man thanks man anyway thank get at us y'all thank you, thank you.